Let's dive into Jonah chapter 3. I've been thinking so much recently about this chapter. When someone asks you to preach on a chapter, you live with it for a long time. So almost every day I'm reading Jonah chapter 3 so that it fills my heart and I get it right in deep. But you know what? We could stand here today and we could talk about Jonah and how exciting Jonah was. That's not my plan. My plan is always to talk about how exciting God is. This book is all about how great God is, not about how great Jonah is. Who's, who's actually got this? It's really all about him and how fantastic he is. It's not about how great I am or you are, although he's made us new, it's exciting, but he is the deal. He is what it's all about. So we're going to talk today about how great God is. Let me encourage you. I've called this message, The God of Second Chances. Anybody in the room without going into detail ever had a second chance where God said, you can go again? And who's ever had a third chance or a fourth chance or a 29th chance or a 151st chance? That's how gracious God is. He gives us so many opportunities. I'm going to encourage us today um, to read the Word of God together. It's on the screen. I think there's great power in reading the Word of God and letting it get into your heart. So why don't you join with me if you'd like to, right? This is from the NIV. We're going to read 10 verses, okay? Don't worry. It's not Psalm 119 with 105 verses. You don't have to read for too long. All right, here we go. Then the Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared the fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. This is, as they say in the Anglican church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's what you say if you belong to the Anglican Church. Thanks be to God. This is the Word of God. You know, it's not a story just for the sake of a story. It's the inspired Word of God. It's important to listen to it very, very carefully. Okay, let's kick in. My first point, if you take notes, I like to take notes. It keeps me focused. If that helps you, here we go. God is the God of the second chance. In verse 1, God spoke to Jonah a second time. You've heard already how God spoke to him the first time, and he said politely, <laughs> no thanks, and off he went. He ran away from what God told him he had in mind. But the second time round, God speaks to him, he hears God's voice, and this time he gets it right. He says, I'm going to do it, Lord. 
let me challenge you, boom, right from the beginning. How many times has God been calling you or me to do something or to say something or to step out and be bold and we still haven't done it? That's not a condemnation, that's a challenge because it's easy, isn't it, for us to say, oh, for goodness sake, Jonah, what are you playing at? When we look at our own lives, my own life, and I know there's times when God's asked me to do something and sometimes it takes a little while to get there. So we are gracious towards this guy. We understand it's tough sometimes. But I want to challenge you right now. Some of you will be getting things come back to your mind right now as I preach. And you'll be thinking, oh yes, the Lord told me to deal with that. It might be to go and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. I didn't treat you the way you deserve to be treated as my brother or my sister. It might be, Lord, I'm sorry, that neighbor put it on a plate for me. The neighbor said to me, oh, I just wish I knew the real meaning of life. And I went, and walked away. Missed a golden opportunity. I've missed lots of those. I'm not condemned, but I am challenged. I want to hear his voice. I want to obey what he says. How about you? Let's do it first time, preferably. Can I give you a little tip? Take it or leave it. When I feel God, when I feel God prompts me to do something, I tend to do it and then think about it later. Because if I think about it first, you know where I'm going here. If I think about it first for too long, I usually end up not doing it. And I'm prepared to go for it and make a mistake. And if I make a mistake, I'll say I'm sorry. But I would rather go for it and make a mistake than never go for it and miss out on what God can do. Let me encourage you. Sometimes we think it through too much. When you feel that prompting, that urging, you know it's a godly good thing to do. I'm encouraging you to go for it. I noticed, it's on the screen for you, I noticed in the book of Hebrews, there's at least about three times where it says, today, writing to Christians, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did previously in the rebellion. God says, don't harden your heart. Make sure when I speak to you, your heart's tender and you can hear my voice and then you can do what I ask you to do. But praise God, he is the God of the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth chance. He's incredibly gracious. Secondly, God loves an obedient heart. Uh, it says in verse three, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. God very often is not complicated. Most of the time he's straightforward. If God wants me or you to do something, he'll make it clear what he wants us to do. So if you say to me, well, I've been walking with the Lord 25 years and I've got no idea what the Lord wants me to do. Well, maybe ask the Lord to make it nice and clear because I'm a straightforward guy. I just need the Lord to tell me, what do you want me to do, Lord? Let's get on with it. Yeah, not sort of secret code. I've got to decipher it with some special app. You know, it just means doing what he, just doing what he says. And God loves an obedient heart. In the Old Testament, we call it the Old Covenant, they used to bring offerings to God of animals that was part of their worship. And um, it says in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 15, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better 
than sacrifice. And to listen is better than the fat of rams. What's God saying? Here's what God's saying in modern everyday language. You can come in here, so can I. You can come in here, you can raise your hands, you can speak in tongues, you can lay hands on the sick and they get healed. You can believe God in faith for miracles of thousands or millions of pounds for the kingdom of God and still not obey. Sorry to be a little bit radical, but I can do all the stuff, I can do all the motions, but God says, before all the things that you do, before all the offerings you bring, what I want above all else is a heart that says, I will obey you. That's lordship, isn't it? It's not saying, Jesus, you can be lord of that area of my life, but not the other ones. Uh, an old man, bless him, I don't mean to be rude, but I remember him in, as a little boy growing up in the church because he had rather large ears. That's how I remember him as a very immature young boy in the church. And his name was Tom, and he used to have what we called those ears, immature children, like, you know, like um, the European cup. You know, when you hold the European cup, he did huge, huge big ears. And that's how I remember Tom. He's a lovely old man, but as a very immature, silly boy, I used to think, that man's got very big ears. Okay, it's amazing what you learn in church, you know, it's quite, quite incredible. But old Tom used to say, son, if he's not Lord of all, he ain't Lord at all. If he ain't Lord of all, he ain't Lord at all. And he's right. He, I'm either, excuse the quote from the great theologian, Hokey Cokey, you put your whole self in, you put your whole self in, and that, that is it. Yeah, it's my whole self in. That's what God's after. Jesus said, I have come to do your will, O God. His priority, his goal, his passion was, I want to obey my father and do what pleases him, even if it's tough, and it was, even if it's painful, and it was. He wants to give him whole, his whole self to the will of his father. There was a song we sang years ago. It's very difficult to pick up. It goes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. Did you get that? It's quite a tricky one. It's got lots of different, yeah. And you know what? <laughs> Sorry for the sarcasm. <laughs> it's a great song. But the point is this. That's it. It's saying yes to him in every single area of our lives. The third thing is this. God gives us the message to share. Verse 2, he says to Jonah, proclaim to it, the city, the message I give you. Now, unlike myself, I know I can take this criticism. He's quite a short preacher. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Thanks very much for coming. That's the message. Yeah. And, I mean, it's today, quite a short message. Do you want to know something? Not that I'm a scholar, but in the original Hebrew language, the message that he preached was five words. Imagine that. Five words and a whole city gets saved. It's the power of God. I want to show you something. Forgive me for the illustration, but I'm, I'm onto this dodgy stuff called uh, no caffeine Coca-Cola, right? So I need a volunteer. And do you want to help me? It's nothing weird. 
going into them. Have a wee, have a wee taste at that. There's a point to this. Don't worry. Have a little taste. There's nothing. There's nothing weird going on. Okay. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to dilute it with water. Whoops, Daisy. Give it a wee stir. Try that. No, try that. See how you go. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Honest, honest comparison. The first one compared to the second one. Well, even without a grind bowl, the first one was better. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Nothing, nothing weird. Just to say this. We must be careful that we do not dilute down the message. Here's the key thing. God gave Jonah a specific message to give to a specific people. If a man's drowning in a lake today and I'm walking past, he probably doesn't want to hear, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and grant you peace. No, seriously, you know, I know it sounds funny, but it's true. He needs to hear, I'm coming in. I'm going to dive in. I'm coming to rescue you. So the message that God gives us will be specific. Of course, it's the gospel and it's many faceted angles, but it will be specific to the people that God sends us to. So someone who has deep loss, who's grieving, needs to know about the comfort of God. Someone whose life is racked with guilt needs to know that there's a God who forgives. Someone whose life is filled with absolute turmoil needs to hear about the peace of God. It all leads to Christ. It all leads to Christ. But the, the angle we take and the message God gives us is important for each person. The message length is not the issue but sharing what God puts in our hearts is the issue, whether it takes 30 seconds or 10 minutes. God, what God says through us in the Holy Spirit's power is what brings the change. Yeah? God's way brings God's results. Don't dilute it down. I won't go into great detail, but I remember once having a very difficult conversation with my neighbor who lost his father and he went to a spiritist, and the spiritist told him, don't worry, your dad's okay. Where do you go with that conversation? But he's the kind of guy who's a straightforward bloke, man-to-man -man conversation. I said, mate, just because a spiritist told you your dad's in heaven, there's no guarantee your dad's in heaven. I'm going to choose to believe what the Bible says rather than some spiritist. He said, that's all right, I accept that. He could take, we had, that's the hardest conversation I've ever had. But what I cannot do is stand there with my neighbor and nod my head and go, yeah, 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 the spiritist is right. No, no, I love him. I care about him. I ain't going to tell him what people tell him lies from, from, the, from the other side, from, from the demonic side. I ain't going to tell him that's okay. I have to tell him because I love him. So sometimes what we have to share is hard. You don't want to say it really in every part of your being. You don't want to say it, but you have to be loyal to the Scriptures, the Word of God, and you have to love people. And you don't love them if you tell them lies. All right. Whew. 
Next point, our God still saves. He still saves. The Ninevites, verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. I'm going to be honest with you. If we sat here today for the first time and we knew nothing about the book of Jonah and we read the story, we get to verse 4, we're thinking this is not looking too good. I'll be honest with you. Be honest with your own self too. When you get to verse 5, if you'd never heard the story before, how many people would think after these five words message, who would think the whole city's going to turn and believe? No, Al, that doesn't work anymore. Can't work in Colchester, roughly 120,000, same as Nineveh, can't work here. Most of us have got so conditioned to believe the worst. We're so conditioned at times to think, I'm not sure the gospel works anymore. It works. It's the power of God to save. I don't have any fresh new revelation to bring you about how to get right with God apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ that's in this book. There's no fancy other message needed. You need to turn away and believe in the Lord Jesus. Still the only way. Come on. It really is. William Booth. Ooh, William Booth, um, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this, and if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. God is able, Ephesians 3.20 says, he's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or we imagine, according to what? His power that is at work within us. God wants his power to flow through us so that he can do immeasurably more. Do you know what? I don't say this flippantly. My heart grieves. Ah. Oh, for the same fire to be in the Salvation Army, they used to be in the Salvation Army. Father God, in the name of Jesus, would you come upon our brothers and sisters of the Salvation Army with fresh fire, fresh power, that they would do a wonderful work, particularly to reach the poor and the needy in our country and beyond. We pray for the same fire that Booth had to flow in the Salvation Army again to the glory of God. Amen. Oh, right. I can't tell your stories. I can only tell my own. I've only got my own stories, pretty much. A few weeks ago, don't mean to embarrass anybody, but a few weeks ago, Rob and Anna rolled up. Ah, nice couple. Lovely, yeah. Next week, they rolled up again. Gosia came with them. I never thought much about it, apart from great to see them. Fantastic. Then Debs and I rolled up to Andy and Kirsty's life group just recently, and these guys rolled up. And Gosia said, oh, Mr. McDonald. I thought, why is she calling me Mr. McDonald? <laughs> That's a bit strange. We don't go to life group to call me Mr. McDonald. She said, I used to be in your class at this school. And then she told the group how she got saved. She met Jesus. And her life's been completely changed. Why does that make me weep? Because, sorry, for 70 years of my life, I walk in that back gate and I say, Lord Jesus, 
come in power in this school. Do something miraculous that will transform the hearts and the lives of boys and girls and teachers in this school. Let your glory come in this school. 17 years. Sometimes I lay my hands on the gates and I say, swing wide the gates. Let the king of glory come in this place. And then this young lady comes to life group and says, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'm saved. He's changed me. You are an answer to my prayers. Bless you. What encouragement. You're an answer to my prayers. Yeah, and there's more, and there's more to come. And I don't say that to boast. I'm just saying I'm a simple guy who prays and asks God to come in power. I'm no better than you. You can do the same. But here's the point. Hang in there. Don't give up. For some people in this room have been praying for people. They've been praying about situations for a long time. I'm saying today, come on, hang in there. Pray again. Come back to the Father who loves us and don't give up. And I'll tell you what, mate, Gosia, you're one of many. I'm believing God. There'll be many more boys and girls and young people in the years to come will say, I'm so glad. Mr. McDonald and others, I don't even know about it. They prayed and I've come to know Jesus. And the same is true in every sphere of influence in this room. Come on. It's absolutely fantastic. Matthew says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be taken care of. That's it. Let's be a people who, when it comes to the lost, the people who live next door to us, do they know we love Christ? Those in our office or where we work, do they know that we love Christ? Do they know where to turn to when they're in trouble? I have a neighbor who, generally speaking, he's a bit of a, yeah, get on with life, everything's okay. But do you know where he comes? He comes to me across the road because when he's in a hard place, he turns to somebody who knows Jesus. He might not want to know Jesus for himself yet, but they come to the people of God. They need to know who to come to, and they're better to come to the people of God than to go elsewhere for counsel. All right? And you are part of that answer. How exciting is that? One more story to bless you. Come on. Courage. A man came to my door recently. I'll not well, it doesn't really matter. He's standing for the Liberal Democrats in the Colchester election, and he's trying hard to get elected. He's lost every single time. He's certainly a man of perseverance. He's lost every single time, and he's a few hundred votes behind, and he wondered if he could have my vote. Well, I started talking to him about faith and various bits and pieces, and then I felt this prompting from the Lord. He had a walking stick, which he hadn't had before. So he had this stick. I said, oh, I notice you've got a walking stick now. Um, what's, what's the matter? What's the problem? And he starts to open up. This is after he's told me he's an agnostic. He used to go to church, but he's lost interest. And um, I said, that's interesting. I said, well, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus cares about you. I'd love to pray for you that God will come and heal you. How do you feel about that? Um, and he started to chat a bit more. <laughs> then second time, I said, come on, man, are you up for it? Yeah, go on, man. So in my front door, I lay my hands on this man, and I just pray that the Lord Jesus will come in power and touch him and heal him. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you something dramatic happened here and there and then, but here's the deal. Do you know what he said to me? He said to me, you do realize you've given me a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah, you've got it. Because if I get healed by this Jesus, I'm not sure I can be an agnostic anymore. <laughs> I said, you certainly have got a problem. 
And, and, and I don't say that for any glory because I know, and those who know me well enough know I've prayed for loads of people and I don't always see everything happen. But here's the deal. My job is to step out and to obey what he tells me to do. Okay? It's his power that will do it through me. All I can do is step out and do what he tells me to do. And brothers and sisters, that's what I'm asking you to do. Be bold. Be courageous. There's no lesser challenge for me or you. We can, we're all challenged. Me too. And please don't think Al's just that way inclined. <laughs> there are times I miss it. But I've got to continuously encourage myself. Come on, Al. It's about Jesus. It's about his glory. It's about lost people encountering his presence. Let's obey him and let's go for it. Let's move on. God is so kind in leading us to repentance. How many people get this? You see, God, when Jesus was here, Andy was quoted this recently, which was great. Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Some people think when they hear the word repent, that it's the worst, horrible, aggressive word out there. We've missed the point. When Jesus says repent, it's the kindest thing he can say to you. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Not the wrath of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God. God says, I love you. I care about you. I want to be kind to you. Therefore, I'm calling you to repent. Why is that kind? Here it is. The word metanoia, I'm not trying to impress you. It's just a helpful word. It means to change in one's way of life resulting from penitence, a sorrow, or spiritual conversion. Here's how it works. I'm going through my life. I'm doing my thing. I'm following myself. I've got no time for God. Something happens where God, by his Holy Spirit, awakens something in my heart, and I waken up, and I go, I need to go this way. I'm going in a different direction now. That's repentance. Do you know why that's kind? Because to go God's way is always the best way. For God to leave you going your own way is not kindness. So when God says, I need you to turn, I need you to come this way towards me, he's doing the kindest thing he could. It's quite good to hear that. I remember years ago as a young boy, you get a wee man walking in the center of Glasgow with a sandwich board. Repent. Is it repent? The end is nigh. It sounds, it sounds terribly, you know, heavy. It really should say, repent. It's the greatest message ever. To turn back to God because there's great things that God has for you to transform your life completely. How did they show that repentance had taken place? Well, bearing in mind we're reading the Old Testament speak, they declared the fast and they put on sackcloth. I'm not suggesting you have to go home today and put on some weird kind of clothing, but that's what they did. It was a sign of turning, of repenting. Of, of humbling yourself, they sat down in the dust, they called urgently on the Lord. And they gave up their evil ways and their violence. Now, this is where it gets tough, but some tough things have to be said lovingly. Jesus is not an add-on to you continuing to live your life the way you want to live your life. He's not an add-on. It's a total transformation. I, when I come to Jesus Christ, I die to myself. Not physically, but I die. I say I'm finished. I'm not living my own life anymore for myself. Jesus Christ came into my life 
utterly transform me. Now I live for you and for your plan and your purposes. It's radical. It's a completely new person you become. You don't say, well, I always do this. I speak like that. I gossip. I'm nasty. I'm cruel. You know, I'll just carry on doing that. And by the way, I'll pop along to church now and then. I'll just add Jesus on top like a part of a sandwich. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. You're as lost as you ever were. The gospel is when Jesus Christ comes into your life and transforms you. What happened to these guys? The power of God came on their lives, and what happened? There was some evidence that they had been changed. They weren't the same people that they were before. They gave up their evil ways and their violence. They were new people. They were not the same as they were before. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, it says, now is the day of salvation. Now, that means as a preacher, I cannot promise you, you have tomorrow. That's why God lovingly says, now is the day. In other words, don't leave this place without getting right with God. Because life changes. I was thinking about this today. I'm not trying to be morbid, but I was thinking about this this morning before I came out. There were people at 9-11 who went to work for a normal day's work. Some of them knew and loved Jesus. Some of them didn't. They went to work thinking it's another normal day at the office. It was far from a normal day at the office. Some people's lives were changed forever. So I can't promise you, ah, you've got loads of years, wait till you're old on your deathbed and you can say, Jesus, sorry for the life I lived. Will you come and save me now? Thanks very much, I'll go to heaven. Well, a dodgy game to play because I can't promise you each day, but I can promise you this, now, 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 now is the day to get right with God. Don't delay, don't wait, don't hang on. Don't say, well, I'll wait till my partner or my husband becomes it. No, today's the day get right with God. It's so urgent. It's so, it's so important. You cannot put it off for another day. Don't wait anymore. And lastly, our God, hallelujah, is compassionate. My goodness, he's the most compassionate person we can ever meet. When we think, and I think about what my sin deserves, and I think about how I get treated, and his mercy, and his grace, and his love, I am absolutely What's the words? I mean, what's the words? Ecstatic, yeah. Why did I jump up and down like an idiot? Because he saved me. He saved me. And I'm blooming thankful for it. I ain't going to sit there and go, how jolly is it that he saved me? He saved me. I am rescued. Who alone can rescue me, sang today? He's rescued me. I'm no longer lost. I'm found. And that's why I get excited. Whether I was an elder or not an elder, whether I was the guy that put out the chairs or the guy that preaches, I'm excited because he saved me. And you can be too. Why not? Hallelujah. My goodness, it's quite quiet in this place. All right. I was at a, at a party yesterday with many of my African brothers and sisters. My goodness, it was heaving. And it was loud. And we had a great time. It's very quiet in here today. All right, guys, come on. <laughs> you don't have to be African to shout hallelujah or praise the Lord. Come on. Anybody can shout for you. should be glad you're saved. If you're not glad you're saved, man, I'll pray for you later because you need to be. It says 
Verse 10, we're going to finish now. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. By the way, I feel in my heart I need to say this. Anger is not sinful in and of itself. There is sinful anger and there's righteous anger. God gets angry. That's what the Bible says. It's in there, I'm not going to lie. The Bible said God, God has righteous anger. Here's what it means. He's never vindictive or cruel, but he gets angry about certain things, about people's rebellion in their hearts. He loves them. He cares for them. And they spurn him. They turn them away. They kick him away. Get lost. It grieves him. He looks at sin and he looks at our world today. And he's, he's moved with compassion because there's sinful, cruel things that happen to hurt other people whom he's created in his image. But here's the beautiful thing. The moment we step into a place to repent and turn to him, he is waiting. He's waiting with arms to say, come on, come on, come to me. His arms are full of compassion. So although he hates our sin, it grieves him. He hates the way our society has rejected him and his ways. He's compassionate. He's just waiting for you to say, I believe. I'm all yours. You know what, when I was a wee boy, I went to Sunday school. That's quite unusual for many of you because many of you know nothing about Sunday school. That's okay. It used to be for children. We used to go there and learn about the scriptures. And one of the verses we used to learn, we used to get sweeties, right? It's quite a good motivation for children to learn the Bible. You know, if you get offered sweeties. So we used to get mojo sweeties if we remember the scriptures. And everybody taught us the one that most of us in the room know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. But do you know what? Do you know what's just as exciting is the next verse? That nobody was taught at Sunday school. Nobody was told to, here's a sweetie, learn this one. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hallelujah. God's heart is not to condemn you. God's heart is for you to come to him to save you. Is he going to drag you? I don't know about that. I think you've got to be willing. You've got to be willing. Even if you just say, I'm in. I'm yours. He looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. 